Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome back. We're going to be talking now with Fong Lee Gallagher uh, about her experience with colorectal cancer. And Fong, thank you for, for joining us today. We're delighted to have you. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your experiences? Yes, I was uh, 29 years old when I was diagnosed with stage three rectal cancer. Uh, about a year later, that metastasized, and I have been living for the last 13 years as a stage four colorectal cancer survivor. Terribly young to get diagnosed with that. What was your reaction when you first heard? Shock and real surprise. You know, I, there's no family history that I know of for colorectal cancer. I had a very healthy diet. I worked out all the time. There were really no telltale things other than the symptoms that I was having. And when I went to see my primary care physician about them, it, you know, like most other cases, it, you know, they told me that I was too young for cancer, that I probably just had some irritable bowel disease. Um, they put me on a bland diet and said, let's see how that goes. Um, I continued to have extreme severe uh, stomach pains to the extent that it would double me over. And I was planning my wedding at the time, so I chalked it up to stress between a career and everything else going on. Um, I ended up moving right after we got married and had a new primary care doctor. Um, I didn't go at first because I just thought, oh, I'm fine, I just deal with it. I've done, dealt with it this long, nothing's different. And one day I came down with a pretty heavy fever. It was summer and my husband came in and checked on me because I just suddenly felt very fatigued and winded. He dragged me kicking and screaming, of course, to see my new doctor. And, uh, um, I weighed in at 85 pounds. When you're seeing a person day to day, it's hard to see that gradual shift in weight, but it was all of a sudden, my husband saw me in a new light and just got extremely worried. So um, the doctor said, I can help the fever. I can help bring that down. Um, but I'm concerned about the extreme stomach pains. Um, I had the blood in the stool and she recommended that I have a colonoscopy and I didn't know what to expect. So uh, I went in and they pretty much found it right away. Um, just as soon as the scope went in, I was only about an inch off from the, uh, from the rectum. Wow. What, what kind of therapy, what kind of treatment did you get? I feel like over the years, if you name it, I've probably had it, short of high pec. <laughs> I've had full Fox, full Fury, so the first two primary lines of chemo, and I had surgeries. Um, I say fortunately because fortunately my metastases were in the liver, and so I was able to go to surgical interventions for much of it. Um, SBRT was another intervention that we were able to use, and that got me about 10 years in. Um, and one of the scariest things that happened to me was my oncologist retired. That is terrifying for somebody who's been with, with their oncologist for a decade. Um, I moved back to Southern California at the same time and met uh, my new oncologist. And I, I'm so grateful to my medical teams and the researchers that have been behind all my care. So I know you've had more conventional therapy rather than stem cell therapy, but how difficult was it making a decision when, when someone says, okay, this is, this is the situation, these are the options? I would say that there are three things that really weighed in my mind. One was quality of life. Um, two was what kind of time am I exchanging for going through 
putting all the poison and, and putting my body through all this difficult um, treatments and therapies. I really had to see the, the benefit in that exchange. Um, the third one is a little more sneaky. It's financial toxicity. The cost of care is, I feel so hidden from the patients with things like surprise billing. Um, and even though I had extremely good insurance coverage, it still added up on the bills. I mean, it's, it's a very costly thing to endure and so many patients end up in bankruptcy. So for me, I had to consider what kind of time am I looking at and is it gonna bankrupt my family? Right. So now you're part of what we call a clinical advisory panel, a, a CAP, which um, um, can you talk a little bit about your role on that? Because I know for a lot of people, it's a novel idea, the idea of having, bringing together the scientific experts who are doing the research with someone from CERN, but also a patient advocate. I think it's hugely important to have patient advocates on clinical trial designs um, and research because there are things that you can see on paper as a researcher that you really don't get to see what the patient lives in that moment. So it's, it's like making decisions in an absence of this information. So for example, on paper, it makes sense to say, okay, I need labs once a week, um, maybe twice a week, depending on what the trial is. But now you're not scheduling that necessarily to coincide with the patient's appointments and so now you have the patient coming in once, twice, three times a week just to be a part of that clinical trial. When you're adding up the energy that that takes in addition to um, the cost of transportation that they, they may have difficulty with, um, these little things become very big things and they really impact the trial participation that you're trying to recruit for. Do you think your experience in this has changed the way you see researchers in general and clinical trials, but also stem cell research in particular? Absolutely. Um, you know, the clinical trial process is something that is not general knowledge for most cancer patients. So when it comes to time where we need to start looking at the possibility of going on a clinical trial, it's a big, scary endeavor. It takes a lot of brain power. And when you're on chemo, sometimes you have chemo brain and, and it's harder to grasp those concepts or, or follow the protocols that you need to. Um, so I think that it's really given me insight into some of the things that we need to start considering um, and collaborating with um, researchers and clinicians on to reach those um, personalized care. And stem cell research in particular, as we go through that personalized care revolution where everybody wants something that's going to be particular to their bodies. I know this is going to work for me. It becomes that much more important to be able to rely on that research. I think one of the things that we've learned from COVID is just how the disease, the virus affects so many different groups, so many communities, and that a lot of these communities are really underserved and don't get access to these kinds of services, the kind of clinical trials that could be so vital. Um, what do you feel about that? What, what do we need to do to be able to improve our outreach to what are now underserved communities? Well, there's a few things that I can think of. One is you mentioned COVID. That has really opened up the possibility of conducting clinical trials through telemedicine and in partnership with perhaps a more local cancer center. So the, um, the study can be conducted through these virtual visits and 
you know, somebody can go to their local cancer center or local hospital for the lab draws or the scans. And these things can be connected. So you're reducing that cost of travel, the difficulty, the efforts, all of that. Um, and so you're able to bring in more people who might be below that, that financial threshold to really be able to engage with cross-country flights. I also believe that there are creative ways that we can start thinking to engage the community. Dr. Rogers is, is somebody that I've seen on Twitter who's talked about how um, he's gone into the barbershops to start to talk to African-American males because that's where they commune, that's where they hang out with each other and have these more casual conversations. And you're, you're reducing those barriers and the taboo of discussions. And so all these things become things that you can introduce in a more relaxed environment and people will be more receptive to that, um, less suspicious of why do you want all this information from me? Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing your thoughts and experiences with us. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much.